Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We have from time to time uh, taken on social justice issues and um, serving uh, projects both as a group and as individuals supporting one another. Uh, Sometimes not everyone can participate, uh, but we are able to support through finances, uh, hands-on, to get the projects completed and uh, and help them through. These include the Syrian refugee effort that we did, uh, home cleanup, rental emergencies, help with containers for men's shelters, uh, rescue kits for Bridge North and food bank uh, help etc we spent an entire summer going and doing someone's garden and we went instead of having our tuesday night meeting at somebody's house we would go to this family's garden and we did everything that we could do for the house and garden outside so we we painted the garage doors we did weeding in the garden that kind of thing sponsoring a syrian refugee family has been the biggest project that we've done together as a cell. Welcoming and becoming friends with this family that at first glance seemed very different from us in dress, faith, life experiences was very significant for me. They are uh, imminently going to become citizens of Canada. And that's exciting. And they're excited to become citizens, and to to they really have embraced being part of this country, um, and so that's just in, in in one sense a big thing, obviously for them a big thing, and in some senses a small thing. It's just one family out of literally millions of refugees, um, but it's something that we could do. It's something we took on. What we've observed over time is that in the small group context, when we talk about wanting to engage with our world, with our neighbors, with something going on in our city, with something going out on in the globe at large, um, what's often happened is that we, in effect, as a cell group, have commissioned people to go out. Um, I mean, small c commissioned. It's nothing official, but basically encouragement for people who are doing something that's often outside the cell group. Where everybody's busy, and so we meet on a regular basis, but it's not always practical to all go together and do something as a group. But what is practical is for us to affirm each other in the various pursuits that we do have, the things that have grabbed our attention, that have grabbed our heart, and uh, that we want to go do, and have the cell group pray for that, um, and encourage that, and speak into that, and provide the necessary encouragement to make it work. We came to this small group because of their generosity of their time towards us. Uh, We were between churches and not in a great space, emotionally or spiritually. And for a whole summer, they came uh, every Tuesday night 
and they helped us with some uh, repairs around our house and some gardening, uh, just some other things that needed some help. That was the practical part, but what was far more important was the uh, emotional, and spiritual, and community connection that that gave us. Amen. Today, I'm, I'm going to share the teaching, if you will, with uh, this great small group at NAC. Um, includes the Stewarts and the Hearns and the Hunts and the Agalawadis and Jane and Sue and Denise. We're in this series called The Comeback, and we're talking about how this last year and a half has just taken its toll on us, particularly emotionally and spiritually and relationally. And I think there's some biblical keys to us staging a comeback. I said uh, week one to stop social distancing, which is not about six feet, but about you know the disunity and the division that we have faced. I said to take off your mask. It has nothing to do with cloth masks. It has everything to do with realness, authenticity, what we're willing to share. I said to stop hoarding, which has less to do with toilet paper, but more about your, your gifting and your generosity. Uh, we talked last week about the super spreaders, which are really those media feeds and news sources that just inspire anger in you. And today I'm going to ask us to stop self-isolating. And there are those today uh, maybe who are watching who medically, physically, uh, for good reasons, need to isolate. You know, for, for Beryl or anyone else who is watching who are immunocompromised, please don't think this is directed at you. This is about something more than viruses, okay? This is about an, a, a relational isolation, maybe even a spirit of unhealthy independence that is so prevalent in Canada. I've been a pastor at Newmark Alliance Church for not quite four years, and what I hope that you have heard <clears throat> over that time in my preaching is is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I hope you've heard that from me because it's the main point of scripture and because it's really such good news, it's so good in fact that most people don't believe it. But people continue to think that if there is indeed a God, um, and if we are indeed reconciled to God, then it's probably on the basis of our good works, not on the sufficient work of Jesus. So we need to keep retelling that good news. But after the gospel, there's you know, half, other, half a dozen other um, themes, I suppose, that I, I think I, hit, I frequently revisit. Uh, the fact that we don't just stop after we sort of cross the line of salvation, you know, that we're supposed to keep growing in the image of Christ. Um, the fact that church isn't so much a place, but it's a people. And it's not something that you necessarily come to on a Sunday morning. It's something we're supposed to like live out all week. Um, the fact that we are to live lives of grace and authenticity, that we should one another people, you know, 59 times in the New Testament, it gives clear instruction on how to treat one another. I call it uh, one anothering. And, uh, and, we, and we talk about the belief that spiritual growth happens best in community, 
Doesn't happen best in solitary, uh, although we need that sometimes. It doesn't happen best in the crowd on Sunday morning or at the big rally, although we need that sometimes. Uh, But the level of connection you need cannot happen in this room. I think we are a very friendly church and we intentionally build in these acts of, of fellowship a lot more so when, when COVID is over. But you need to know that our worship services are actually not designed principally for friendship building. Um, you can be friendly and intentional with a full congregation, but you cannot truly share your heart, your life, your burdens with everybody. Andy Stanley goes as far to say, you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. For those of you like me who were kind of raised in the church and went to Sunday school and children's church, you'd often hear hear the term big church, like as in, you know, big church is running late again, or, you know, when you're 12, you can graduate to big church. That's us. We're, We're big church. And I believe big church, the gathered corporate assembly of the saints, is vital. It's vital. But it can't accomplish everything spiritually. It was never meant to, in fact. So let's, let's hear from our small group again on what they have to say about big church and small church. Hi, I'm Suzanne Stewart. My husband, Andrew, and I have been part of a small group for many years. Meeting consistently every week has enabled us to get to know each other in a way that would be difficult in a large group setting. When you're in the big church meeting, then it's more about corporate worship um, and the big group teaching and meeting lots and lots of different people. You might meet and chat with different people each time that you go. Whereas a small group is about developing relationships on a deeper level and you can talk about the same things that happened in the big church meeting, but you can go deeper. A big church for me is about worship and ideas. Small groups help me contextualize that. And the messages that uh, Jonathan give bring challenge into my thought processes on ways that I'm believing and teaching. Again, I can take that back to cell and contextualize it. And uh, helping each other process that. Sometimes there are disconnects, sometimes there are things we that resonate well, sometimes there are things we have more difficulty understanding, and we can help each other talk those through. And, and in that way, what happens in the big church kind of context uh, is, is well complemented by what we do in Salvo. Where on a Sunday morning, the teaching is by its nature and by the size of the group one way, okay? Where whoever is speaking is sharing information and so on, but there isn't the same interaction that you would get. Whereas on a Tuesday night, when we're discussing something, whether that's what was talked about on Sunday or something separately, we can discuss how it has impacted our lives and how it should impact our lives. Uh, Big church for me is ministry. Uh, When I'm 
in big church, it's a time to make sure that people feel seen and cared for. I feel that's my role in the big church. Um, and small group is more for interaction and more intimate interaction with other people. And I think they both complement each other because the things that you can do in small group might be difficult to do in a large group and so on. Uh, I think you see that exemplified in, in, a, in a different scale um, in our rock youth group where the rock youth get together and do events and do things together, but they also are in small groups um, where, again, there's, there is more sharing, people are willing to be a little more vulnerable because the group is smaller and they know the people better in that group. One of the fir first things that Jesus did when he began his ministry on earth was to surround himself with a small group who eventually became his 12 disciples. They literally weathered storms together. They learned and became equipped to go out in the world and be the church. Go and be the church. I'm going to use that. There, there seems to be this model in scripture that promotes the nurturing of deep friendships with a, with a handful of other Christ followers who, who kind of push us closer to God, who, who know both the good and the bad and the ugly about us and, you know, whose love is not contingent upon any of those. Like, let me put it this way. Do you have someone who you can call at 2 a.m. If, if you're in crisis? Are you that someone uh, who someone else could call you at 2 a.m.? if they're in crisis. The goal of, of cell groups or small groups or community groups or life groups or whatever we want to call them, the goal as stated in this small group leader's guide is very simple. Here it is. Two, two points. One, notice each other's spiritual growth. And two, care when hard things happen. That's it. Now, there is a few reasons why I'm calling us to pursue these kinds of relationships. It's, it's not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are the ones that stood out to me. First, having deep friendship with a handful of people seems to be God's plan. Uh, there are a number of passages in scripture that make this point somewhat directly. I didn't talk to Glenn this week about this, but Acts 2 is, just paints a picture of, of what it means to be devoted to each other in the early church life. Um, but the fact is, the, the idea that we are in this together is so basic, it's, it's more assumed than stated throughout scripture. In fact, it's, the, it's modeled by God in the eternal existing relationship and friendship that exists within himself, this mystery that we call the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, God never alone or lonely, but actually in relationship. And think about even the subtlety of the assumption when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, our Father. We don't say my Father who art in heaven, because it's implied that as his children, we are in this together. You know, it's, it's an affirmation of our need uh, for relationship. Um, you know, think of even the fact that we are born into a family. You know, we don't 
start out alone. We, we couldn't survive more than a few hours of life if we were left alone. This need for connecting with other people, it's, it's reinforced in our spiritual language of, of rebirth, of new life. We know when we come to faith, what are we? We're adopted into this family of God. We become brothers and sisters of, of Christ. And Jesus himself modeled this need for, for close friendships. One of the very first things he does in public ministry is he selects 12 disciples from among this even broader group of people who traveled with him. And even within that 12, he was particularly close with, with three. And when life got really crazy, he would lean on those three. And, and then there are all of the passages that describe how we are to interact with one another, all of, all of which assumes that we're actually sharing life with one another. You know, these 59 one another verses that I referred to, love one another and encourage one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, and on and on. And I would submit to you this morning that you were actually made for community, you know? That friendship is, is wired into you, that you are to cultivate loving, nurturing relationships with others. It's, it's assumed on just about every page of the Bible. It, it's played out that way in this small group as well. So watch what they have to say about it. It's a time and gathering we look forward to. Cell has become a community, friendship, uh, and hope as we encourage one another. What's important to me about small group uh, is, is also the, the relationships. I mean, the, the friendship relationships that develop over time that uh, may go on for many, many years or, or last for a season uh, are what makes small group work. So it's become just yeah, a regular part of our life. Like every Tuesday, we meet with these people. But it goes beyond that. It's not just meeting with a group of people on a Tuesday night and having a nice little meeting. It's doing life together. And I think that's why it's important to me. So we do have deeper friendships with some people in our group outside of like the Tuesday night. Like we go camping with Byron and Linda. We've been camping with them quite a number of times now and we get together for meals and go for walks together, that kind of thing. It's, it may be even viewed as unspiritual just to say it's a great place for friendships, but friendships are important. And friendships are what attract other people too. If you want to attract your neighbors to the good news of Jesus, then having a really well-functioning friendship circle that all commonly worship him and follow him is a great place to start. And so having good friends as part of the context to sell is to me a very valuable thing and it's one of the things that keeps me there. In fact, when uh, we don't meet, it's like missing a family meeting. This is a group of people that are in every sense of my family to me. They have my back. Um, I can know I can count on them. Um, Every year, for several years, we've done a weekend retreat together, um, where again, we just spend time cooking for each other and enjoying nature and, 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 and speaking through the word and, and praying with each other. And that has been a highlight of my year. 
Second reason I want to encourage us to do this is because the mission of Christ is usually played out in, in smaller communities. You know, notice when Jesus sent disciples out. He never sent them out alone. He sent them out in twos and in threes. And it seems to me that it is in smaller groups, smaller teams, serving teams, you know, where the mission of the church is often lived out. There's a lot I could say about that, but I, th- I really think the small group uh, video said it best uh, that played before the sermon. Third reason, I-, I stress the need for connecting with other people because, and I'm going to make a generalization here, but generally speaking, um, Canadians are not great at making and sustaining healthy friendships. There's some knowing laughter going on, because you know, and if I'm being honest, I'm not great at it. I think you know this at some level, especially, especially if you've traveled abroad. We are more individualistic, more private, more self-reliant. I think it's fair to say that Canadian men in particular uh, especially as they get into their 30s and beyond, are much worse at building close friendships than Canadian women. If you ask a man to name his best friend, he could easily give you the name of someone he hasn't talked to in six months. It's true. Um, our culture is awesome at many things, but being friends and sharing life in a biblical sense is probably not one of them. You know, uh, as I said, our church has a pretty good reputation for being a friendly church, a welcoming church. Uh, It was a lot easier to demonstrate that pre-COVID, but it's a reputation I'm proud of. And we have a couple great small groups uh, where people really are present for one another. But I want to say this as gently, but as truthfully as I know how, as welcoming and as friendly as, as we have been, and I hear that affirmation anecdotally from, from all kinds of new folks. Can I tell you something else that I hear anecdotally? Um, as much as we are an easy church to feel welcomed, we are not an easy church to break into deeply. And there's a big difference between the two. And it can be a real problem because people will actually put up with bad preaching. They will put up with music styles that they don't necessarily love, but they will not stay at a church where they are not cared for. Fourth thing, we believe that real life change happens best in in smaller communities. You know, as Christians, we are uh, living lives with the goal of glorifying God. And that assumes several things. Uh, uh, One of them is that we will become more like Christ, you know, more loving, more kind, more gracious, more patient. How does change happen? Well, a complete answer would include... um, the grace of God, you know, working in our lives, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, the importance of scripture, but it would also have to include the presence of others, right? We get better through our interactions with others, you know, others who help us 
see ourselves, who coach us, who, who push us, who love us, who call out the best in us. Basically, people who notice each other's spiritual growth. If you're single, you need these kinds of friends. If you're married, you need these kinds of friendships. Even if you say that your spouse is your best friend. Um, I say this for two reasons. First, it is unlikely that your spouse can meet all of your emotional needs. Second, you need others outside of your marriage helping you change into the person uh, who's more like Christ. You know, while we like to become better, we don't really enjoy the process because having our rough edges sanded and rounded is painful. Uh, your spouse is going to be that sandpaper a lot of the times, but it's best if he or she is not the only sandpaper that you face. Am I making sense? When I was growing up, um, it seemed that I just fell into friendships easily. And in college, I lived in cramped settings with some of my best friends and we did Bible study together and we went everywhere together. And I was in a traveling band and you know, often that gets compared to marriage in terms of the dynamic and the closeness and the sandpapering effect. But marriage and children and career and introvertness and quite frankly, laziness, um, a job that sometimes can create guardedness in others around me and guardedness in me around others. And I start to drift from being truly intentional about cultivating the kinds of Christian relationships that I need. I, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. I suspect there are others. This small group really uh, knows uh, that life change happens in, in smaller communities. Watch what they have to say. In our small group, we've had and made the opportunity to walk together in uh, retreats and in weekly get-togethers, both on Google Meet and lately in the Stewart's backyard, um, to grow together, to be planted together. We share our pains, our gains, our losses, our joys. Uh, we come together on our thoughts, on what we believe, and across the spectrum wrestle on how that's walked out. Um, I think this is only can happen in a safe and extended relationships that are found in a small group. When we study God's Word together, we challenge each other and are not afraid to bring up the things that we find difficult and challenging. I would boil that down to one word, which is feedback. And what I mean by that is that it's very difficult in a larger group setting for people to see what's going on in your life, to speak into it, and to see what's happening on a regular cadence as a result of that. And in a small group, you get that. You know, we talk about things that are concern us about our lives in a small group setting, and what comes out of that is um, action of one kind or another. And then we get to see very quickly within a week through conversation and through you know further manifestation how that's worked out. And so basically, if we're there for each other and we're having conversation with each other about what's going on in our lives and the lives of those around us, 
the, the ability to grow quickly happens much more readily. It's as much a part of my life as getting up and eating, okay? I can skip a meal, and I'm probably okay, but I'm going to notice it. And you'll be really hungry when the next meal comes. When I miss a small group meeting, which tends to happen only by the way, I miss it. And I look forward to the next one even more because of it. Uh, when I don't have that meeting, uh, there's just something that doesn't get built into me the same um, because I've, I've, I've missed out and, and so on. And, and we don't schedule things on Tuesday night because that night is spoken for. I think the most important part for me of this group is, is the time we spend in prayer. It's very powerful and, uh, and again, intimate. Uh, we support one another, we support um, other people and situations that are important to the members of this group, and um, we do study and we do other things as well, but I just find the prayer very important. Fifth reason that you need to cultivate community is because one day some aspect of your life is going to fall apart. It just will. Some part of your life will unravel. You know, many people work hard to have enough money to survive the loss of a job or the onset of illness, and that's good, and that will help with one aspect of your world kind of crashing down. But you don't just need money. You're going to need friends. You need emotional and spiritual support. You need someone you can call at 2 a.m., in the morning, uh, at night, uh, when you're on the ledge, so to speak, you need people who will care when hard things happen. It used to be that our extended family sort of assumed that role, but a lot of us don't live close to our extended family anymore. Uh, it used to be that our work colleagues were in that position. Now many of us change jobs a lot or have maybe more relationally guarded workspaces with, with clear boundaries. Frankly, we're working at home more often. So we have to be more intentional about cultivating community, more so than we have in the past. There will be seasons in your life, seasons that will last for years, decades, I hope, where you are the stable one. Uh, you're the emotional rock on which others rely on. There is stability in your home and your career. Your faith is secure and growing. Your kids are serving God. Doubts don't really enter your mind easily. Your prayers seem to go answered. You're healthy and happy. Can I assure you of something? And man, I'm going to sound like a killjoy. That will not last. Uh, you too will enter a season uh, a dark night of the soul, as it were, um, where you're, on, you're not the one who is leaned on. Um, you will very much need people, people acting as the hands and feet of Jesus who you will lean on. It's not fun to say, I need help, but, but every one of us at some point will inevitably encounter sickness, job loss, marital struggles, angst over kids. And for a season, everyone um, needs to be a taker, not a giver. 
But can I tell you something? If you invest in these relationships, in those seasons, um, your Christ-following community will want to give. They will be so grateful that you vulnerably asked for help. And sometimes all you're able to offer each other will just be your presence, you know? There will be nothing you can practically do except to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's the kind of group that you know you can call someone at 2 a.m. and say, I need help, and they'll arrive. In fact, um, you know that if you needed help, you'd have called them because it would shock them if you didn't call them. We, we were made to love and be loved by others. Uh, this is one of the primary purposes in life. Uh, this has played out really well in the small group. Uh, let's hear from them again. Uh, we have. We've become, a, like we've become family to each other. Um, so like I said, it's not just about the Tuesday night meeting. If something's going on in our lives, we feel like the people in our small group are the ones that we would probably turn to first before anyone else. And we do have like a joint email address that we can you can just send an email out to the entire group really easily. And we support each other in prayer through that. And people that we care about will send out prayer requests to the group. Personally, when me and Yo have been going through some really difficult things, it's small group that we've turned to when we have the meeting and we'll, we feel that we can share on a much deeper level and really felt supported through that. We remind each other of God's goodness in the midst of whatever challenges we are facing. Uh, throughout the week, if we or our loved ones are sick or, or are facing difficult circumstances, one of the first things that we do is tell our cell group and we know we can count on them to pray. So sometimes when people are going through a difficult time or whatever, we spend more time praying through and talking about that. Jesus' plan was to invest in a small number of people to build into their lives, equipping and encouraging them to do the same with others. And so Paul picks up on that in Second in Timothy uh, 2, and he says this, Timothy, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to others who will in turn be able to entrust them to others. And it sounds like a meager plan. It sounds slow, but in fact, it turned into the longest sustained revolutionary force in the history of the world. Disciples making disciples. And I've made this case for community, and I just want to quickly acknowledge why you may choose to avoid it. Uh, first, you may avoid making these kinds of friends because it takes time. Look, friendships are not efficient. You will not experience the real fruitfulness and benefit of them without time. There is a cost, and you may decide that the, that cost is too high. Second reason is you may be scared of being known. You think that if people know the real you, they, they'd walk away. I, I, it's scary to open up 
in your life. And I understand that fear. Believe me, I do. But I also know that there is a freedom on the other side of that. Third thing, you might feel like you're, you're doing okay. I, I, you don't really see the need for deep friendships. And if that's the case, I didn't do a good job persuading you that your life will one day fall into crisis and, uh, and that now is the time to invest in friendships. So if you need to be convinced that you'll face crisis, see me after church and I'll give you the real hard sell. And I won't stop until you're a puddle of tears. Uh, fourth thing, and uh, now I'm gonna just outright meddle uh, and convict some people because it convicts me. You'd rather watch TV than work on friendships or fill in the blank, rather play video games, rather whatever. It's easier and TV was designed that way to be easy. Getting involved in people's lives is difficult. The idea of being close to people can be more you know, attractive in theory than the actual practice of it. Um, you, maybe you joke that church would be great if it weren't for the people, uh, but maybe, maybe it's not so much a joke. Fifth thing, um, you might not know how to build friendships. You don't know where to start. And I know there's some helpful truisms. We can't get into all today, but I, I would say, first of all, you have to initiate you have to take the risk, not wait for others to initiate with you. You gotta listen more than you talk. If you leave a dinner or a coffee with someone and it hits you on the way home, oh, that person knows a lot about me, a lot about my week, a lot about my hopes and dreams and desires, but I'm not sure I know anything more about them than when we started. If that's the case, you ha may have missed the point of the get-together. Um, I think this will be our last video from the small group. Uh, can we just give them a round of applause? They have taught us so well today. Um, but, but let's see what they have to say on the subject. So we came to NAC 20 years ago. We moved to Canada from the UK and NAC was one of the churches that we visited when we were looking for a church to attend and belong to. And um, some of the first people that we met at NAC was Andrew and Suzanne Stewart. And when we met them that first Sunday, they invited us for dinner and they invited us to join their small group, which we did. So we were in small group with Andrew and Suzanne right, right from the beginning. And through the years, it's been 20 years, we've had people come and join and people have left. So it's a very different group. By now, I think it's probably just us and the stewards from that original group that when we first joined them. Uh, we came to this small group about the time we came to NAC, which is amazingly 20 years ago. And we've been part of small group ever since. And we've hosted it for a number of years. It's been in our home a number of years. We've kind of moved around. It's, uh, it's, it's been kind of a moving party. And the people, the characters within the cell group have changed over time. And people have come and gone and there's been sort of a, a, a subset that's always stayed. And uh, new people have invited in, new people have been commissioned to go off and do other things in, in life and, and outside. Back, maybe even, and and they just sort of been welcomed for the time they've been there, and then they moved on. And so um, this works for me in that uh, I would say that the constancy of it as a 
if you like, as an institution happening on a regular basis is a really valuable thing. One of the things that I appreciate about our group is that we're open, that we are willing to accept anybody that would like to come. And sometimes that means there's people that come and you go, I'm not sure how that person's going to fit in. And yet it's amazing how they fit in and how they often bring the most interesting questions and the most interesting input and the most thoughtful things, even without even trying, just because of who they are. So as we close, like the best advice I can offer is that you just jump in, that you would take the risk, that you would avail yourself of the opportunities that we do have and, and we don't have as many opportunities in this COVID world. A lot of the opportunities are digital and I know that we are collectively done with digital, but it's a step um, and, and you can even start here. Uh, the best groups are the ones that sort of start organically. Take the step, be more intentional about living your life in the company of friends. As we move to the communion table, you know, one of the aspects of, of communion that I love is the image of coming to the family table. In a couple of weeks, no, next week, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving in, in our families. And, and there'll be many of you who will be gathering around the family table and breaking bread together. You know, the first communion with Jesus and his disciples was around a a meal, when the early church celebrated communion, I assure you, it was not with a thimble of juice and a disgusting uh, wafer. You know, it was a meal, a feast with laughing and conversation. The relationships, I think, you could say were part of the worship offered up to God. And they would take a moment in that meal to remember Jesus, his broken body represented by the bread, his blood shed represented by that juice. Something transcendent happens, something in the spiritual realm, the unseen world. Um, something happens when we do this together in unity.